Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like... All right, we live. Sean, what's up? We have absolutely zero topics on the document today, so I am no, very curious no, 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 what's no. going to happen. Oh, you have one. I have, I have one. Okay, <laughs> uh, but I, I am confident. I think we will freestyle well. So we have this little Facebook group that sh- I think you set up, Sean, where it asks or where like people of the podcast talk to one another. And I have a feeling there's a lot of just like spam in there. But yeah. did you see I asked people what they hate and what they love? Did you read it? I read a bunch of the comments. Uh, what did you what did you take away from that? Guests are not as favorited as I thought or as loved as I thought, which sucks because that requires zero work from us. <laughs> no, there's work. You got to schedule the guest and think about what to say. I find these to be less work than the than the guests. And then other takeaways, I think uh, riffing. Everyone says we have good dynamic. I already knew that. Anything else, though? So here's one thing. Um and this happens anytime you ask your diehards, they're like, we just want more of you guys, the backstories and the real life stuff, which I don't think the casual listener, which is, the casual is always the masses, right? I think the casual listener cares about us in that same way. They want like the ideas, they want the information in and out. And the people who are in this group who like answer questions like that, they're more hardcore fans. So there's always this danger of asking hardcore fans what they want because it'll take you into a more hardcore place. Um, I have two little uh, ideas that uh, I could steal from from our friend Chris uh, that I think are worth talking about. So like I was saying, we didn't have too much written on our, our document today, but I think he surfaced two really interesting little story uh, stories about companies. So who, who did this is Chris Backey. Uh, he was on the podcast, for, you know, maybe a month yeah. ago. Um, don't follow on Twitter. So if you want to go follow somebody, Chris J. Backey, B-A-K-K-E. So he tweeted two things out that I thought both were really interesting back to back. So the first one is a side hustle that's booming during COVID called Card My Yard. And I remember this because my neighbor right in front of me just did this for their daughter's 16th birthday. And basically it's a, it's these little like signs you put in your uh, lawn. Like each letter is like, has little, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a letter like let's say S with two metal rods as you shove it into your grass and you're trying to spell like happy birthday, Sam, or like, you know, you did it, you graduated and you like get these things so that it's like this, little pop-up sign in your front front lawn card my yard so great great name card my yard founder started in 2014 began franchising a couple years ago they have 200 franchisees and so the franchisees they make like a modest like one to two thousand dollars a month part-time doing this and uh they said the first six months he says the first six months of 2020 they did eight million in gross sales uh which is kind of amazing franchise and their franchise model which is awesome i love this little like micro franchise which is great so that was the first one uh, thoughts on that? And I have another one. No, other than badass. Good job. Yeah. That's, that's um, fantastic. And I wonder what, what other like sort of little micro franchises you could do here. The one that we had talked about way at the beginning of the podcast was the drone light shows one. I think that is still a amazing franchise. If somebody could do it, which is basically drones instead of fireworks, drones can do some pretty dope stuff. And, um, 
if you basically found just local franchisees at all the different cities to to service the like they they they'll be the go to vendor for their their provider. You basically give them a business in a box. Uh, you you give them the drones and the software of how to operate can, it. Can you buy hologram equipment? Like for example, if I wanted Tupac to appear like in your lawn, at, yeah, or like at my party, can I like? Is that like a thing? Can I buy a hologram machine? Can I rent one? Gram my lawn, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's like get Michael Jackson to perform at my party, and I'll pay a thousand dollars to rent this machine for an hour. Is that a Let's thing? See. Hologram machine rental. I don't know. I hope it's a thing. Because like some of these rental businesses are crazy good. Like a carpet cleaner rental business is really good because carpet cleaners can last like ten thousand hours, and you could charge like fifty dollars an hour for it. Right. And That's I'm like, great. I'm like, man, is a is a is a can I, can we get that hologram game going or what? <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of of hologram things that are for like conferences. It looks like like kind of like to make your booth really good. Uh, I don't know if there's like kind of like for my birthday party have michael jackson there that would be pretty great but i like that idea but another one's carpet cleaner by the way like a carpet cleaners uh sell for only six hundred dollars but they rent for like 50 bucks an hour and you get them from the grocery store right and i'm sure the like kind of like uh what, what are they called bouncy houses or like you know moon houses whatever whatever you call them i'm sure those operate on this like same model so basically can you take some that's something that's a party trick um, or a birthday trick, and can you make sort of the local franchise model for it? These signs are great because this is like dirt cheap to create, but for the buyer, they're not going to want to make this on their own, right? So it's like and way it's like, easier than the bouncy house. It's viral, like it's viral, and it's probably pretty durable. These letters can't—they don't probably take much wear and tear because they're just like in the lawn and then like out four days later. Okay, so the other one that he talked about was Amazon, Amazon Logistics. So he said Amazon has quietly created one of the most successful franchises of all time in two years. And he's talking about their Amazon Logistics, their delivery fleets. Um, so, you know, people be becoming a prime delivery driver. And so it's a $10,000 startup cost. He said they have 1,300 franchisees now that do this, that employs 85,000 people. And a franchisee who's operating a 20 to 40 van fleet will be making, you know, between a million and a half to four and a half million in revenue, depending on their market, which is kind of like amazing. And so, and you, you could sort of see how this would only grow. And so, um, so I think this is cool. I had talked to somebody else who was talking about buying routes. He was like, I'm, gonna, I'm looking into buying FedEx routes. I was like, what, the, what the hell who is that? Who said that? some guy at the at, at twitch and i was like what do you what do you mean and I, had you ever heard of this i had never heard of somebody buying a fedex route and he goes well what you do is there's certain like little areas of routes where you can buy to be the exclusive provider as long as you you know meet certain service requirements and so you can become you can buy a monopoly basically you can say i'll be the service provider here i'll pay this amount uh and i'll operate this this fleet here and you can make x dollars above what you paid uh just for the like you know the guarantee all your customers come from fedex uh you just have to run the operations of driving the stuff around i've never heard of this that's fascinating okay so if you go to routeconsultant.com um, you can see different routes that are for sale. And there's a guy who built a course on it. Uh, no, I think he's just like literally route. You can find routes for sale. You can sell your route. It's like a marketplace to sell FedEx routes. And so he's, he's, he said basically FedEx and UPS don't have the ability to service all areas. So you set up as a service provider, you buy the trucks, right. hire the drivers, and you buy the exclusive routes from them, um, which you can do, you know, in residential or you can do like warehouse to warehouse well, or whatever. Have you been to the country and seen like these disgusting minivans doing this? No. It's like if you go like the like the country of Tennessee where I am, like you'll see like these like minivans with the hubcap missing, and you're like, 
how on earth is like FedEx or letting this minivan on the road? Well, it's just like, it's uh, that must be what it is. It's like, a, right. it's a, it's a franchisee or like, you'll see like an old, like beat up car and you're like, what the heck? How is that a government car? Or, uh, right. And that's what it is. So here, here's the number that he was walking me through. He goes, so he's like, here's a link to a guy who's selling a company with five routes that he has exclusive. He goes, he's selling it for 1.9 million. Um, you get paid on a per package delivered basis. So basically he's selling the business for 2 million. The business makes two and a half million in revenue with uh, operating income of about 550,000 a year. Right. Uh, so he's saying if you bought it for 20% down, got an SBA loan for the rest, you're cash positive, um, about $250,000 a year, including your loan payback. So like you could basically buy this business, be profitable in the first year. Um, or sorry, you're basically, you're making money, um, on top of the meeting your loan requirements each year and you pay back your entire down payment within two years. And that's if you did 20% down. Dude, that just seems like so much work. I don't want to do it. Yeah, you don't want to do it, but there's a lot of people out there who would want to be making, you know, half a million, a quarter million dollars to half a million dollars a year. I hear that, uh, but I feel like if, a job. if you're the type of person though, who can, um, afford that, then you maybe who have other options. But by the way, actually, I was thinking about this. I was like, man, if I sell my company, what would I do? And you know what I would do? I would hundred percent would do Uber Eats for a little while, <laughs> just for a little what? while. I love just driving. I just I love driving. I love seeing all types of stuff. I think like these. There's these guys in New York, and they all have these electric bikes, and they're just riding around. All, and it's hard work. I mean, it's not like they're having fun, but like. Just to kill time, that would be a fun way just to see the city and have like a mission. I would totally do that. I would 100% be one of those electric bicycle messengers for like a, a few months. Right. Okay. Easy. I, I would not. Uh, the thing I would do before that would be, you know, what, what do you call the little like chariot thing where you, you bike and there's like two people in a wagon on a date behind you? I'd rather do that. Than, than Dude, doing that, I never felt more fun and more alive than when I had a hot dog stand. <laughs> <laughs> These are just lies you're telling. No, I, I mean, <laughs> you never felt more alive, really. <laughs> I felt great. I was because it, it, like there's a little bit of an, there's not really much of an adrenaline rush with the internet, but I felt, I don't know, I felt special. But I think, I, I also think that everything in the past always seems nostalgic. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, what's the thing I was thinking about with the nostalgia stuff? Um, Oh, I was telling you about the trading card thing that I was looking at. Um, as I talked to a bunch of people in this space, it's crazy to me how much of this is just driven by people who used to collect cards, baseball cards when they were a kid. And now they're just like, you know, some rich investment banker or like hedge fund guy. And it's like, okay, I have like all this money and I like, oh, baseball cards are worth something now. They're like a collectible now. I remember how fun this was. And there's like this nostalgia that's driving this insane industry. Same thing with Pokemon cards. Um, like it's Say a franchise that's really relevant to kids, but adults who have money still remember how it felt when they were a kid and they're like 30 years old now it's and happening they're just with, buying it up. It's, it's happening with cars from the 1989 era to like the early 2000s like people are like uh like people with money now from cars like for example they're a new bronco there's a right. new bronco there's a new wagoneer yeah which the is new a, bronco that's a big deal there, yeah there's a new wagoneer there's a new hummer just like it, it always is it's that right there's an electric hummer that's out now which, by the um, way, looks looks freaking awesome. I, I, I saw it because LeBron was posting about it because LeBron, when he was, uh, I think, 15 or 16, famously showed up to high school one day with a Hummer. And everyone was like, oh, OK, like 
you know, LeBron comes from like, he's like dirt poor, uh, like his mom, his single mom, no like electricity in the house type of thing. It's like, where'd you get this $70,000 Hummer from? It's like, oh, LeBron's not going to college. He's, he has no amateur status anymore. He's definitely taking money because he's going to go pro. And uh, so it's funny that now he's like, you know, some old man of the NBA and he's like excited about the electric Hummer. That's it looks badass. It goes zero to 60 in three seconds, which is if you're not a car enthusiast, that's like crazy fast. Do you want to hear, um, let me tell you a personal story. And people said they wanted to hear the story in the podcast. And I don't know if we should have her on, but can I tell you a story real quick? Yeah, please. Um, so last year, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is, she's a Haitian immigrant. She came from Haiti um, at like 17 or 18, didn't speak English. She's pretty badass. Um, her and her husband, my father-in-law started a business, great moving company, yada, yada, yada. Last year... She started listening to the podcast and she was like, I want to create an online store. And I was like, all right, I like, I, I don't think you're going to do any of this, but I'll, I'll <laughs> spend, I'll, I'll spend time talking with you. And so she wanted to drive me to the airport. Cause it's about, a, it was probably, it'd be a two hour drive to the airport. She goes, let me drive you to the airport and you tell me how to do it. And I told her how to do it. And I go, so there's this thing called the CPM. And that's like <laughs> where you like do advertising and then you have a click through rate. And you want your click-through rate to be this. And then that's how you get people to your website. And then you want to sell them something. And you want to sell them by doing this, this, and this. And, and it's all it's called a sales funnel. And that's how you got to think about this. So you got to think of a product that you could sell that costs a certain amount of money. So you can make a profit. And you can sell it to a certain amount of people. Whatever. And I explained to her this whole thing. And I was like, all right, good luck. Thinking that she wasn't going to do shit with it. Right. <laughs> she has a store now that's doing like 15 grand, 20 grand a month. Nice. And revenue. And uh, I'm pretty proud of her because I'm so used to people like, I'm like, I'm not even going to waste my time talking to you. I know you're not going to do any of this. <laughs> but so this woman, her name's Smithy. She's my mother-in-law. I love her to death. She started a pillow, like a throw pillow business, which neither you and I probably care about. But right. it's like fancy $80 throw pillows, which are right. decoration. The, the stuff we have to take off the thing we want to sit on and put yeah. on the floor for some reason. <laughs> so we've had a bunch of podcast success stories of people listening to us. We had, we've had a few people reach out to us and say, hey, I've done this, this, and this. Thanks for some inspiration or an idea. I have to say, this is my most proud. One, because she doesn't fit. She's not like a 21-year-old right. broke. You know, she, and anyway, pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And uh, so is it profitable or is it like, you know? Well, yeah, there's, she started with it with, uh, uh, I think, $5,000. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's profitable. It's called, how do you spell it? She So she only started it with an Etsy store at first. So if you look up, wait, Smith, it's called Smithy Couture. How do you spell Couture though? C-O-U-T-U-R-E. C-O-U-T. All right, I found it. So her store is, is if you just do a Smithy, for, she spells her name S-M-I-T-H-Y, Smithy S. Right. Her, her name's Smithy Sodine. Smithy Couture is the name of the business. And you could see like her pillows uh, on there. And then she just now has a new website. I think it's called like SmithyCouture.com. SmithyHomeCouture.com. Yeah. yeah, that's I, it. You I, see I, it. I see her Instagram. Yeah, this looks great. High it's quality crazy. photos, dude. She's uh, she's doing a she good job. She did all of it. She did all of it. She rented an office for like five hundred dollars a month and went and bought a camera and bought lighting. She flew to North Carolina to like look at samples. I think she started. What maybe she a started. Boss. Yeah, she started with ten grand to do this, and um, I think she's probably make. I think her first year maybe quarter of a million in sales. Um, like. In December, when we were coming home from wherever we were coming, like, you know, I traveled there for December and she was like, let me, 
or was it December? It was some holiday, maybe Thanksgiving, I forget. But in the two-hour drive, I just explained to her how to do this. <laughs> well, what's funny is the stuff you were describing, like a CPM, sounds totally unrelated to this <laughs> pillow store. But uh, nonetheless, I think this is amazing. And uh, well, okay, well, cool. my point was, I, I was like, here's how you have to grow. You have to like get eyeballs. Right. And then you want to convert like Some 2% of, percent the, of them. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the ways that you get eyeballs is through advertising, which right. means that your CPM is going to be this number and your click-through rate is going to be this number, which right. means your cost to, there's this thing called the CAC, which is cost to acquire a customer that needs to be below the profit you make per pillow. Right. And that's like how I explained it to her. And anyway, she, and so now she's advertising and she, that's how she got her sales. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Anyway, I, uh, I can let me lead you to this next one. This one's a little bit more related to what we t- typically talk about. Have you heard of visualize value? I have heard of this. This is what's his name? Jack Butcher. Yeah. So I went to Jack's house this week. Me and my wife, Sarah, uh, I met Jack on Twitter. Um, I went to his house on like Tuesday and we got along so well that I went back to his house on Friday and we hung out all day. <laughs> and so I have to tell you this guy's story. And then I want to ask you your opinion of which lifestyle you'd rather have. Yes. So, the way that his life has worked out was he's 32. His wife is my age, about 30. And he's a British immigrant, uh, came here at 21 and worked a bunch of agency jobs and wasn't poor by any means, but like was just like a normal, just kind of get scraping by ad agency type of guy. And then 18 months ago, he started a Twitter handle called Visualize Value, where he would write, create one. It's almost like an infographic where he would explain different things with one infographic. And that got quite popular to the point of in 18 months, he got 100,000 followers on Twitter. Then he created a course that teaches people how to make these things. And in his 18th month, or in the trailing 12 months, 18 months into his journey, they'll do close to a million dollars a year, or close to a million dollars this year in advert or in uh revenue from yeah pretty amazing and i went to his house and he like we were we we had family time where we like just talked about you know podcasts and life and dogs and whatever but inevitably we did talk a little bit a little business and (laughs) he like showed me his setup and how he was doing it what a fascinating lifestyle this guy built it's crazy cool and so what i want to know is what do you think of that and also would you rather have that lifestyle where you have like a very steady not passive but 25 to 30 hour work week, which I have no idea actually how much he works, but it could be low. Or would you rather have like a different lifestyle where you work harder and swing for the fences? So I think about this a lot and I don't view, I don't view the distinction about the number of hours worked, right? So I don't have too much of an opinion on that. I've found that when I work 20 hours on my job, I just start to work 20 hours on my side hustle, right? Like, you know, I just, I just fill in hours with other stuff that I want to do, which tends to be business projects uh, or projects of some kind. Um, So I don't think that's the distinction, but I love the model of, I know this one thing really well. I can become a sort of authority in that niche because I'm an authority. I can get followers. And because I have followers, 2% of them are going to want to, be me and learn my shit. And I can charge the, those, you know, that 2% of my 100,000, which is 2,000 people, I can charge them, you know, $500 for this course and I can make a million dollars a year off of my audience. I'm not spending to advertise. Um, and that's money that's almost pure profit that I can, you know, live on and, and I can be a solopreneur. And so I am very into this solopreneurship path to the point where uh, right now, you know, I've been thinking about, okay, what, you know, what do I want to do for 10, the next 10 years of my life? And, um, 
I got offered like some pretty sick jobs, but I'm like, I can't imagine working at a big company like that as like, you know, the path for me going forward. What type of jobs like at fortune 500 companies at like a startup that's going to like IPO next year in a space that I really care about. Um, at like a C-level role. So it's like exactly what I would have wanted. Um, what would the pay be? So I asked him because I was like, hey, look, um, I need to, I know, you know, usually you take some steps before you get to this like, kind of job offer part, but um, just frankly where I'm at, I'm making a lot of money and it, this may make no sense and I don't want to waste either of our time if it's just like financially, it's just not in the ballpark. So give me, give me a sense. And uh, they were like, well, the the salary part can't match where you're at, but like, you know, if the salary is, let's call it between two hundred fifty and three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and then the um, stock options would be worth, let's call it two million bucks. But we're growing, and if we IPO, where we think we're going to IPO, that could be ten million bucks. If you, uh, you know, over the next two or three years, and it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and so it's like financially, it's great. Prestige is great because it's a company a whole bunch of people have heard of and think is cool and stuff like that, right? Um. So I thought about it. I said, okay, that's one path you could take a career. Uh, another path is the, the traditional startup path we hear about a lot. Well, like, let's let's dumb that down. I don't think a lot of people can have that path, but I do think a lot of people can make very cushy six to me, figure. That's the, that's the top of the mountain of the corporate track, right? That's yeah. like yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's like as far higher. You can't really go higher than that. And the corporate track, maybe you know, there's some crazy exceptions, but like that to me already sounds like an exception. Um, so it's like, well, but if if the if the top of the mountain is not that appealing, it's like, well, that's just not the mountain for me. The top of the mountain for me is something else. Uh, so that's kind of the question you have to ask yourself. So one path is you know the corporate track. The other track is like I'm going to start my own company. You know uh, what you're doing with the hustle, right? Traditional media is messed up for reason a b and c i'm a startup i can flip it on its head and i can come in and you know be disruptive and if i do it right i can make a big prize i can get a big prize you know which ranges from you know let's say in the in the success case you most likely will fail but if you succeed you might walk away with 50 million 100 million bucks for your company or up to 50 billion if you build the next slack or the next airbnb or whatever it is right but it's going to be long, hard, super intense. Um, and you know, it's a lottery type of type of game. Most people will never, ever have that type of success. Would you raise funding? That's in that path. Yes, I would raise funding. Right. So then there's, okay. So that's another option. Then the, the third one is bootstrapped kind of indie maker, uh, which I actually don't consider what he's doing out of that. Like that would be like, literally we're going to build a, maybe a SaaS app that's going to be profitable and we can we can grow it, you know, based off our profits and it'll be a small team. And then you have the Jack Butcher visualized value path, which a bunch of other people are doing. Right. So like um, that guy, Tiago Forte is doing this. He's got a course. And then there's, you know, Ben Thompson, well, and our best, my best friend, Neville Medora. Ne- Neville's been doing this for years now, right? F- f- 15 years, 15 years. Exactly. Uh, where you become a niche authority, you blog about it, you get free followers and you get some paid followers. Right. That's a, That's a model. And. I think that that path is really appealing now, um, more appealing than it used to be. Like when Neville first started, I would bet that the like the 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 success case, the top of the mountain there was not as big as these other paths. But now I think that the way that the tools work and how big this sort of the this market is getting on the Internet and for paid education and stuff like that, I think these guys can clear somewhere between you know, half a million bucks to, to $4 million a year. Um, just being themselves, just like talking about the thing they're, they're into that they're known for 
and then sharing their their wisdom with the world. And they don't have to deal with employees. They don't have to deal with investors. They can work 10 hours a week. They can work 100 hours a week. It's kind of up to them. Um, they are a little bit of a dancing monkey on the stage, right? Because you are the product in many ways. But uh, I think that path is pretty dope. What do you What do you think? So that was well, a long I, way of answering your question of saying I think it's yeah, dope. Yeah, so I think it's definitely awesome, um, obviously. But I actually think that we need to break it down a little bit differently, which is regardless if you raise funding or not. So like there's this mentality of I want to grow two or three times a year. I'm willing to work a shit ton, which all parties actually of all these examples yeah, definitely you, could. If you want to have outsized success, you're going to end up working pretty hard. But like I'm going to hire employees. So like so like I don't actually think that it's fair. I, I don't like doing this like VC, not VC thing. I would say like, are, do you, are you going to hire? Are you going to have like a? Are you going to have a, a fair bit of headcount? Right. Are you going to not optimize at first for a profit, and you're going to try and fifty percent to two hundred percent grow every single year? Um, versus, are you going to just coast a little bit and just uh, make potentially a substantial amount of money? Uh, but you're going to operate like a small business that doesn't exactly want to grow revenue significantly and you're not going to optimize for that. I don't know. Are those the two categories? Yeah. Well, if you just think about like, there's a bunch of different ways to break down the business side. Let's just break it down from a lifestyle perspective, right? So it's like, do you want to be managing a bunch of people or not? Do you want to be like going for the absolute grand slam? Do you want to be being profitable and trying to make payroll every every month because you didn't raise money because you bootstrapped it um or do you want to be like in the with what jack's doing where it's like you have very low burn and um you may have low profits uh, you may have low revenue at first but it's very very profitable because you have no headcount and you have no fixed costs and you have no uh you have no you know uh, cost of goods sold because you're selling a digital product do you know how actually and this is going to sound super disrespectful but i don't that's not my intention because i actually tend to side with the side i'm going to disrespect but I would actually kind of say that it's almost like, do you want to be significant or not? Do you want to be... Because in order to be significant, you have to build something very large. Like I'm talking significant on a grand level, like either it's business that impacts millions or hundreds of thousands of customers, or that makes you so wealthy that you can uh, donate money to a hospital or something like that. Well, it's like significant in what way? For example... I have friends Influence. that have way bigger successes, way bigger successes than me, but because of this rinky dink podcast, I have a large audience of people who think I'm, you know, cool and and I'm able to influence them and I'm and uh, they they know my name and they don't know his name, right? Yeah, but, but they built can a much use, bigger company, right? But, but they can use their money to do things that someone who doesn't have money can't. They can. They can do a significant. Right, but, but here's here's the other argument, right? I was talking to to my manager at Twitch one time, and. Uh, I had always thought like, you know, big company, my mental model was big company, you're a cog in the machine, small company, startup, you're like kind of the key player that, you know, the, the, putting the team on your back, putting the, put the company on your back and you're making shit happen. Uh, and he had the exact opposite point of view. He's like, well, I, th I thought about this, you know, 15 years ago when I was deciding which path I wanted to go down and I wanted to optimize for where I can make the biggest impact. So I thought that meant startups. And what he meant was, look, this is a company that, you know, the company I'm working at at that time was Google. He's like... I can, if I just make this one product work, it's going to affect hundreds of millions of people. And, um, so, so that's, that's the highest impact thing for me to do. And I was, I had always thought about it the other way. I thought high impact was you're in a small company. Therefore your fingerprints are all over the whole thing compared to Google where you're just trying to get your pinky to touch the machine. And then, you know, that that's the level of impact you can have. 
I and and I actually agree with that, which is um, and I I just I so want to blunt this because I I don't mean this in, in the form of disrespect because I don't think it's important to be significant, but I really do think that like if you have a chip on your shoulder, like I was listening to this guy Chamath, whatever his last name is, uh, Chamath, you know, billionaire VC guy, he was like, yeah. He's like, my goal is to be one of the 150 people in the, who control the world, and I'm going to do it by getting incredibly wealth, wealthy and controlling the capital and deciding how I want to allocate the capital. And when you hear him describe that, you're like, well, that's, that's definitely more significant than like making $800,000 a year in revenue and living a very happy life. That doesn't right. mean that Shabbat's way is that will actually make him happy because I bet he's incredibly unhappy. But well, that, that interview you're listening to, by the way, I think is from a few years ago. And since then, his whole like investment company blew up. All his partners left. He had a midlife crisis, left his wife. Like, you know, like I, I don't think he was happy going down that, that road uh, at that time. Yes. I think he's an openly admitted it. He, in that interview he did, he goes, I, I'm not really happy. I'm very lonely. So I'm not saying that that's the way to live. But I am saying that that generally is the two sides of it, which is you're going to be um, – uh, kind of unhappy, maybe unhealthy, and you're going to optimize for cultural significance through alloc- through obtaining massive amounts of capital or creating something that's world famous or impacts a lot of people, or you're potentially going to be much smaller, maybe work less, make a fantastic living, and not be as significant. And which one appeals to you? The one that appeals to me is the, the second one. Um, it's about like I want the quality of my life to be high, right? Like that the quality of my life and my family's life to be high. And the quality of my life is going to be affected by do we have to like, you know, do we have to 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 slum it or do we have, you know, the, the, the means to do what we want to live the way we want? But also I'm going to be spending half my day working. I'd rather be working on something that I'm doing for fun, not because I have to do it in order to, you know, achieve some status or make some amount of money, right? Like I want to, I want to find that zone of genius, right? The thing I like to do feels like play to me. People want it and, um, you know, I'm good at it. And if I can find the zone of genius, like that's what, that's what works for me, whether that's in a big company, a small company, or as a blogger or podcaster, it doesn't matter, right? Like that's my, that's my personal focus is find my zone of genius and then just operate from there. Cause that's where I have the highest quality of life. Not, I'm not worried about societal impact in that way. I think that's a byproduct of if you live your best life, you're going to end up influencing and and helping a whole bunch of other people. That's just like a, a law of nature to me. My personal flaw is that I am easily influenced by others. And like I'll hang out you with hear some shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll hang out with you or Ram, our best friend Ramon, who doesn't fit into either one of those categories. Um, well, he fits in the go hard category, but I'll hang out with Jack butcher. And I'm like, um, or whatever, who Neville. And I'm like, man, it would be a little bit easier to just be a little easier. And then right. I'll go and read, <laughs> uh, the Steve jobs biography, or I'll go and read about Chamath or I'll go and read about, um, um, someone who's like pretty significant. And I'm like, they fucking got after it. That is so cool. They like, right. they risked it all. And there's something fascinating about that, which is they just bent the world to their will. Will. And and I find that to be incredibly intoxicating and neat. And so I don't, I personally don't know where I fall, but I respect both. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm agree. I I agree with you. I respect both. I've been through that cycle where I like, I can't figure out what the fuck I admire. Uh, one day I admire one thing and then I start to follow that path. And then all of a sudden I start to admire this other thing because it's the opposite. Um, and I, and now I've gotten to a point where I'm like, look, there's multiple ways to win. Here's what I know. I know what I don't want, right? So the thing I am absolutely sure I don't want to do is trade time for money. 
right? So any sort of consulting, any sort of coaching, um, I know that that's a trap and I'm never going to go down that path. So even if there's people who are happy down that path, I know I personally am not happy down that path. Um, okay, cool. That's one, right? I want assets, um, assets that accrue in value over time. Um, I think what I admire right now, and I, I used to believe that the the Elon Musk path is like, you know, the gold standard. And now I sort of look at that as something that's a lot more fun to watch than to do. Um, I don't think those guys are happy. I don't think they live a life that I would be happy living. And um, where you're, you know, extreme amount of stress, extreme amount of uh, busyness, not able to to detach, not able to be learning, not able to be with your family as much, right? Like it's always, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a high frequency where those same people have, you know, multiple marriages, they have, you know, health issues, they have other stuff because of the lifestyle they live. They live what I call an Olympic lifestyle. It's like, I think Michael Phelps is dope. When I heard what Michael Phelps' life was like while he was training to be Michael Phelps, I was like, that's a trap. That's miserable. I would never want to do that. Like, you can yeah, give me look, all the gold medals. The, I don't want that. The thing that a lot of people don't do, and someone, a mentor of mine taught me how to do this at age 20. And he goes, you need to write down everything you want to earn this year. And then you also need to write down everything you're going to give up this year to get that. Like, what costs are you going to pay? Right, and the trade-offs. And I think that's what a lot of people have to do. You're like, I want this. Like, I want to win a gold medal. Therefore, right. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm willing to be lonely. Right. <laughs> or, Have you ever done it? Did you ever do that exercise? Yeah, I do it all the time. I was like, that. I mean, that, so that, what's an example of yours right now? What, what you what you want and what you gave up, or what you're willing to give up? Um. Well, like I, uh, like I don't have, I don't see friends. Like uh, I, I on school nights, I don't. I call it, we call it school nights. Me, me and Sarah, <laughs> it's like no, it's a school night. We don't go out on school nights. Right. Um. So like that. Do you do that? Like it's like Monday through Friday. Like I don't see anyone. I only see people Saturday and Sunday. It's it's a school night. So that's funny. Like that's something we do, which is um, like you. Like, okay, I have an example for you with yours. Right. You wanted more freedom. You gave up control as CEO of your company. Yeah, for sure. Right? You, yes. you brought in a president and a CEO, whatever it is, right? And um, and so I think that was like a that was a give and a get that you that you agreed to that I think most people would not, but you consciously chose to do that. Yeah, and I and I actually do it right now. I'm trying to weigh a certain weight because I got a little chubby when I got sick, and so it's like okay, I want to look good naked and weigh this weight. Therefore, I'm going to be hungry throughout the day. <laughs> I like, and I I will literally write that down. It's like, am I willing to be hungry? Right. Um, but um. Oh, God, what was I going to bring up to you? Oh, I do think that there is a, a di and I hate saying this because it's such a pussy thing to say, there, but there is a middle ground with this um, in that, like, I do think that there are people who are immensely successful that actually do work pretty calm. So um, I don't know that I don't know this guy well, but Tim Chen is the founder of NerdWallet. He's one of my investors and I've hung out with him a bit and it was hard at first when he started the company. But once it got going, if you pick the right business model, you can grow and be huge and be influential and impactful and also not kill yourself once the ball gets rolling. That is possible. Yeah, I, and I bet sure. you the Twitch guys had that happen with them. Yeah, I think like, for example, from what I can see right now, I think... Uh, you know, they live a pretty healthy, balanced life. They have the time that they would want to do what they would want. Um, but I know that there was a, a number of years where that was not the case, right? Uh, and so I think Paul Graham had this thing he said once, which is like startups is basically a trade you make where you say, I'm going to compress a 40-year career into the next four. So I'm willing to work insanely hard and, you know, 
do my absolute best for the next four years to try to get the value of a 40 year full career during that time. And um, I think that, that was a good way of putting it. Let me tell you this other thing that I saw that uh, you were just talking about money for a second ago. So there's a subreddit that I like, and I don't like telling people I read it because it's quite embarrassing, but it's called Fat Fire. Do you know what Fat Fire is? Yeah, we've talked about it a couple of times, but go ahead. Okay, so explain, it. explain it for people who don't know. There's a lean fire, which is you try to cut your expenses as low as you possibly can. And then you try to and earn. fire stands for financially independent, retire early. I think. Yes. So it's like if you could save up a um, $100,000, you can effectively live off of $7,000 a year in interest or like in some type of investments. And so right. it's like, all right. Let's see how high I can get that while seeing how low. So it's like, all right, I'm only spending two grand a month right now in expenses. Therefore, I only need $24,000 or about a quarter of a million in savings and I'm fired. That's what they call it. (laughs) And then there's fat fire, which is people who want to do that, but they want to do it where they are rich. Um, And so (laughs) they want like 10 or 20 million. And so, but it's a really cool subreddit where everyone discusses different ideas. And there's this um, one subreddit that said, dear everyone who has fat fired for a rich family of four how much do you spend a year or a month in expenses and i was actually shocked by how low it was and so there's people there's like a guy who has 50 million dollars and he was like we spend around four hundred thousand dollars in living expenses and we live in a high cost of living city and i was like that's actually not that much right. uh, how much is 400 divided by 12 33,000 a month. Okay, so $33,000 a month in, in living expenses is kind it, it is a lot for sure, but it's not like obscenely high if you are very wealthy and I'm like that's actually not that challenging. Um what do you think would be your monthly burn if you could live how you want? And yeah. Right. So I did this. So I basically said, uh, and people have argued with me that this is not the right way to think about it. Uh, smart people. So maybe I have this like totally wrong. Um, but basically I, uh, I said that I would need initially I wrote, I need $8 million to work for me. Um, you know, $8 million that is, uh, capital I have invested where my money is earning me money. And I said, okay, cool. If I had eight, $8 million that was working for me and I was getting, you know, uh, 5% a year of capital increase there, that's about a $400,000 a year, you know, net gain in, in asset value. And, um, 400,000 is what I put as, so was, I think that guy said 400,000. I also had put down 400,000 as what I thought it would cost me, um, to live every year, which is basically like, Live lavishly or live, live in the way that like what's whatever's lavish to me today. Now, maybe you escalate shit over time. You start buying tigers and shit for your house. But like, you know, without going crazy, it's basically like live in the type of house that I want, you know, travel as, as much as we kind of like to travel and uh, not really think about, you know, buying stuff and, and, and whatnot on a day to day basis. Like I, I, we, we're, like, we're kind of heavy consumers. We're not like Marie Kondo minimalist. Right. Don't, don't consume anything. If you're spending $400,000 a year, though, you're definitely not in the middle. You're on the upper like right now I spend half that, right? So right now I spend 200,000. That's my current life burn rate is I spend $200,000 a year. And, um, so I, I basically factored in, okay, what if I spent double what I spent today? How much money would I need so that I could spend that amount and my total assets are going up, not down, right? It's what's my, that's my sort of break. But even why point. was that wrong? Because they said, here's, I imagine they said, okay, you're going to do that for a year and then you're going to go and earn more income by working. So it was our mutual friend, uh, actually, Narendra, who I think was the first one that was like, that's not the right way to think about it. Um, and he's got a lot more money and he's older than me. So I was like, OK, you know, I should take it. I should I should not totally blow this person off when they tell me that. Um, but what he said, he said two things as, as far as I could remember. He said, 
your assumption of making 5% a year, um, like kind of like good luck with that. And, um, I don't know why he said that. Like, that seems like a pretty conservative estimate to me that that it would uh, compound at 5% a year. But for whatever reason, he said no. no. Uh, maybe he was factoring in taxes or something. I, I don't know. Uh, and then the second thing was he's like – uh, you're, you're, when you, when you get rich, like in this way, your, uh, expenses will inflate over time. And so like, you're not factoring in that your lifestyle will inflate faster than you think it will today. Um, which is interesting so that was, that was his argument. because that guy, Narendra, he's one of my great friends and I love him. He's a little hippy dippy. Like he's not materialistic. Money focused. Yeah, yeah. He's not materialistic. And yet he's telling you that. Right. <laughs> uh, and maybe maybe I misunderstood his argument. It was a quick DM. It wasn't something that we had like some long conversation about. But uh, but yeah, I've always had this number. Initially, it was six million. And then I bumped it to eight million. And because I, I was like, I had it six million at seven percent a year. And then I changed it to eight million at five percent a year. Um, but that's my like financial freedom number um, is is the eight million in the bank. Uh, that's the that's the not in the bank, but eight million that's put to work. Um, and that's the financial freedom number for me. That's interesting. Well, if you like this stuff, that subreddit's kind of cool. I do think that going on that stuff can be kind of toxic because you compare yourself to one another and it doesn't matter if you're on the low end or the high end. You, there's always someone better and always someone worse. So I think it can suck to do that. But it is kind of cool to see unfiltered opinions and thoughts, which are incredibly hard to come by when it when it's about this topic. Yeah. Also, just like a mini rant. Um, I feel like people, uh, it's so fucking in vogue to be the the guy or girl who's like anti-money uh where it's like money you know like oh it's too focused on money money doesn't matter you know like um these arguments where it's like you know you know remember money's the tool and if you forget that you're the tool like you know there's all these like sort of quotes and and lifestyle things and it's like dude i've met a lot of people um who are like me and it's like they want to be financially free and they want to uh you know live a certain way and they want to be financially free and that's a valid goal and there's so many people that like to shit on that goal that it's crazy to me like okay maybe there is this higher level of wisdom that they've achieved and that other people haven't achieved but i don't think they're that wise because they're so fucking judgy and if you were that judgy you're not that wise as far as i'm concerned and so um yeah that's not my mini rant on like look it's okay to want to achieve financial freedom to think about what that means for you and then to work towards it i think and, that's a, and, a totally fine thing to do i agree and i would say it's the other way around as well which is it's okay not to want that and yes exactly <laughs> and I, I agree with you and i would also say like, like i was talking to jack i was like yeah, man, you could build this and then turn it into this and you hire all these people. And then I was like, but wait a minute. Like, but also like, if you don't want to be, if that won't make you happy, I would say, don't do that because that right. sounds, sounds like you're pretty pumped and happy right now. So maybe just do what you're doing. Uh, I right. think it's like far too often to do people. Uh, yeah, I agree with you where they like hate on someone cause they're getting after it and they are trying to become big and they're killing themselves to do it. But they're like, yeah, but this is just what I want. So it's like, all right, sounds good. And then also like, for example, I used to do this with my wife where I was like, you need to quit your own job, quit your job, do this, this and this. And she was like, I like my job. And I was like, right. oh, well, OK, sounds good. Trump card. Right. Yeah. And she's I enjoy like, this. She's like, I, I like my job. I make a lot of money. I'm happy. I feel good. And I go, you're right. Don't start a company. What the hell right. am I saying? You know, uh, don't don't do that. Your sound sounds good. So I do think it goes both ways. 
I went to, uh, I got invited back to my college to speak one time. And so uh, I took my wife with me and we, we just made a trip out of it. And so we go back, we fly there. We, uh, you know, the night before I'm like preparing my talk and, uh, and she's just like doing her own thing, whatever. She's just like eat, walking around. She's just exploring the campus. And, uh, and then I gave the talk and like, I don't know what the kids, the students thought about it. Like, you know, they probably were like, oh, yeah, that was like, whatever. Interesting. Back to like, whatever, figuring out what I'm going to do this weekend. Um, but my wife got like really into it. And so on the plane ride back, she quit her job and uh, like she had this consulting career and like straight up quit uh, on the flight, sent an email out and uh, like started her next life. And I was like, well, that was and, and, not and what I was trying to do. And you should, I was trying to tell the students, not you. You should tell people what your wife does. It's pretty fascinating. She draws animations for in-person events, right? Yeah, it's like it's called. Yeah, it's called uh, either sketch notes or graphic facilitation. Basically, she would get she. This is what she used to do. She used to get paid to fly to some boardroom. You know, Yahoo's having their board meeting, or Adobe was one of her big clients. And uh, basically, they're doing some kind of like executive meeting, typically, or like an offsite or a conference or something like that. And she would be there listening. And while she while they're talking about, okay, this year, here's our priorities, you know, but what about this? And what about that? And like, she's actually creating a visual, like an infographic. So she's drawing the words that they're saying, mental models, uh, like little diagrams, basically on this huge, like wall sized whiteboard. Um, And so they and by the time they're done with their conversation, they like look over and like it makes their whole like messy conversation look like this totally coherent plan because she's filtering out all the bullshit and like connecting ideas together herself. Which is funny. that's That's exactly what the visualized value thing is. Right. And so she just does it live, I guess. That's kind of the core difference. She she Uh, made a great living doing it. Yeah, she did. Exactly. Uh, Now, it was a trading time for money thing, right? Like had to go fly a bunch of places all the time, which is not like super fun once you do it a lot. And then uh, for a lot of people and. But it's a good place to like start building a career that if she wanted to, she could have product made it a product. Uh, yeah, that's the step she didn't take was like kind of like either create a farm system of talent because she got recruited because she was just doodling in her notebook in business school. And somebody was like, did you draw that? And she's like, oh, yeah, sorry. I just wasn't paying attention to the class. And uh, they were like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Like, if you drew that, I have a job for you. And she didn't even realize this is a career. Most people don't even realize this is a possible career. But she had this artistic talent that she was just like, oh, art doesn't make money. I'm not going to do art. That's just a hobby, I guess. And then she realized, oh, I can pair business with art and I can do this thing that very few people can do because they so, can't draw. Okay, so next episode, I want, I want to show you one more example. But next episode, what's come prepared, and we'll both tweet it out, will come pre- prepared with one to three person operations that are doing awesome stuff. And we'll just rattle off who they are. Does that sound cool? Yeah, like a solopreneur slash duopreneur kind of uh, success cases. Yeah, just like small teams. Like your wife would count as one. Like just small teams that have internet or internet related things that are kind of crushing it. Um, And I'll tell you one more. So I met with this guy named Steve. I don't know Steve's last name, but have you heard of Nerd Fitness? Nerdfitness.com? No, but I like the name. It's been around forever. He's been around for a long time. And um, Steve does coaching and creates programs and his whole, and it also with a blog and his main audience are people like you. Um, I guess me, but nerds who want to get fit, who don't know too much about working out. Um, right. and it's called nerd fitness. So he's like, we help people basically his whole shtick and it, it, he calls them nerds, but it's people who are just not well-versed with gym equipment and don't want to go to the gym and squat because they think they're going to look silly. He teaches you how to squat. So when you go to the gym, you can, you can look like you know what you're Actually doing and, do it, and right. feel comfortable. 
and it's pretty cool. And he, I have no idea how big his business is. I bet it makes three or 4 million bucks a year. Um, but I went to his house yesterday and, uh, I've loved meeting these types of people. It's been so fascinating to learn how different groups of people are building companies. And uh, tell people how you're doing this, because I think what you're doing is really smart, and most people don't do this. So you, you decided to go on tour just for a lifestyle decision of like, I want to go live in different places. But you are actually meeting a bunch of cool play people in every single city. And what is this? Uh, is this I tweet out when I go to a place or I put on Facebook like, hey, I'm in Detroit. Who's here? Uh, something like that. Yeah. So I just tweet out like I'm currently staying in Cobble Heights or Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. One time I accidentally tweeted out my address and I got a, a cool. It was kind of cool. I got mail, but I didn't. It could have been weird. <laughs> didn't um, want mail. <laughs> but uh, I or I'll be like, hey, I'm in I'm going to be in Nashville from this date to this date. Uh, holler, you know, and I just will get DMs. And I if I if it's like a friend of a friend or someone in my circle, then I'll go and meet up with them. So I met up with this guy named Nick Gray, who had this business called Museum Hack. He is friends of friends with Neville. And then Nick introduced me to um, Steve, the guy of Nerd Fitness. And then right. um, Jack Butcher uh, tweeted at me. And right. uh, it's that's how I've been meeting everyone. And so when I'm in Austin, I'm sure gonna, I'm going to be quite busy. And then I met like this guy named Sweaty Startup. You know him? Yep. Uh, he's in Athens, Georgia. So I'm going to go to Athens, Georgia and I'll say hi to him. It's been awesome. Yeah. I think it's amazing what you're doing. And, uh, and, and, you know, most people would try this, but like nobody's going to respond to the tweet or the, so there, there is this precursor you have to do. It's like a, be an interesting person who does interesting things yourself because then people will want to meet with you. And the second is like build up an audience. Um, like we did this, we built up an audience. We asked for nothing in return. We spent time every single week doing this for like a year now. And um, it's amazing the value that we've been able to, I, it's more valuable than I realized. And we're small still. If we were big, I can't even imagine how easy it is for people who are big to get shit done. I think, well, first of all, let me say that I did this in 2014 after the first HustleCon. And I definitely had a... I had like 2000 Facebook friends, a lot of them like startup-y, businessy type folk. And I traveled on my motorcycle for eight weeks around the country and I met up with a lot of people. So your audience doesn't need to be that big. But I will say, I I think we're we're definitely not like a big podcast, but I think that we're like uh, maybe top 50. Yeah, we're, we're definitely top 100, maybe top 50 sometimes. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're not small, but we're not like... There's famous people and then there's like nobodies and we're somewhere in between. And um, closer, I guess my, to, closer to the nobodies, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, but my point is like, if it works even at when we're at this scale, like I can't even imagine how well it'll work as we get bigger. Like that's it's crazy how many how many advantages there are to just having a kind of an audience of people. So and then uh, I really what's encourage even people to do this. Is like imagine if you're Joe Rogan and it's like he's he's like, Yeah, dude, my buddy had COVID in Nashville. And he's like, Who's your buddy? He's like, Well, like Sturgill Simpson, this famous singer. Or right. he's like, Yeah, my buddy wrote a book on that. Oh, you mean Malcolm Gladwell? Right. You, you're like you like or like uh yeah you know i met with this guy he's got this car company you like he you're like he, he like and he's cool about it but that, that's what uh, you call too famous actually you're too famous and then you're constantly trying to downplay other you know the shit that's happening in your life as well as like you can't actually function anymore because people just keep mobbing you yeah so that's when it, that, that's you what overshoot. i'm saying like i uh so i just don't i'm like I, I, we're not famous at all, but I get a ton of messages. I just don't reply to any of them. Imagine right. if you're like Joe Rogan and you say like, uh, I have a cold today. And then you'll get 3000 messages saying, have you tried Flonase? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Right. I, you know, I, you know, I, my friend's the best doctor in the world at the, 
<sighs> I, so I have this guy now who who works with me and uh, he's like my right hand man. And he I gave him access to everything. I was like, here's my DMs. Uh, you can read all those if you want. Like, just just reply. I was like, because there's a lot of shit I just don't reply to because we would find he would mention something that's like blowing up. I'd be like, oh, I think I've talked to the founder. I messaged him a while back. I don't know what happened. And then we'll go back. We'll find it. And it's basically nine times out of 10. It's me saying, hey, this thing's dope. And they're like, wow, thanks. I didn't know. Nobody knows about this yet. And I'm like, yeah, they would love to talk. You know, we'd love to invest in this to talk to you about it. And they're like, cool. Here's my email. Let's find a time. And, and, then, I don't, follow up. Yeah. and then I never reply. And then like it's four years later. And I'm like, hey, congrats on that, you know, $100 million round you just raised. <laughs> like that's the next message that comes through. What, what was that company, by the way? <laughs> Uh, well, like Airtable was one of them, um, but there's there's two there's two others that the same thing just happened. And so which one I told him, I was like, you have free reign. I was like, there is a lot of value in it, just like not being a total dipshit that I am and like actually just reply to these people. And um, and he's like, dude, we could just turbocharge your network so easily if we do this. And so uh, I encourage you to actually do this. This, this has been a kind of a game changer for me, because I think you're probably like me. You might be a little bit better about it, but. You're probably like me that there's no, a lot of value, value on the table. No, like these guys just DM me and they're like, we do 120 million revenue, 40 million in profit. Can we come on the podcast? And I uh, I was like, I, I I think I said I was going to talk to you about it. Um, right. But I would have forgotten about it had I not just right. brought I'm it up. I was like, oh, so- sounds great. <laughs> And, yeah, and that's, that's, the like, last, that's the last to hear from me. Yeah, I usually, I'll just say badass. And then I just, right. like, I got to go and answer an email. Um, what was the two companies that you're referring to? Can you say? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I just know that this has happened three times to us in the last, uh, three, last three weeks. And so he was like, dude, can I just reply to all these so that this doesn't happen again? Like, that's three times we found this exact same thing. Uh you, let's do something about this. And I was like, yes, please, please do. I want to show you something really quick now that we're talking about this. Cause last time we, we had a podcast called jobs that we wish we could have, or no uh, jobs that we almost had, but like got right. fired from or something like that, or didn't get the, yeah, didn't, didn't get the job. So I went and, so when I, I went and looked at my stuff, um, my notes from 2012. Um, so in 2012, what I did was I created a Google form and I put a heading for company name, company URL, job title, job listing, uh, hiring manager. And then I would email them and I would track the right. notes. Sent. Yeah. yeah. Let me show you some of the ones that I, I found my thing. Oh, this is amazing. Okay. All right. Can I just read these uh, yeah. off that I'm seeing? All right. So Sampar Prospects. Okay. So company name, Uber. <laughs> and what? this is 2012, uh, yeah, July, 2012. So uh, not, not totally small. Hiring manager, Ryan Graves, who's the CEO of Uber at the time, or maybe, maybe had moved. No, to he wasn't. I don't think he was. So look, <laughs> launcher, whatever the community manager. Launcher was like the city launcher thing. Sales manager, sales rock star. So Zozi, I don't know what that is. Did that and then look at this it? one. Oh uh, yeah, Airbnb, exactly. Airbnb 2012. Uh this is so funny. I want to look up sales these, manager. Who these people are. I, like did they get like crazy rich now? They're all on sabbatical, dude. They're, yeah, they're, that's they're, right. they're, they're all taking a, a you know a three-year gap year where they're gonna go read about mindfulness. Okay, but here's where it doesn't get good. So Zozi, is this around anymore? I, I've never heard of that company. So maybe, what do they do? Not. I don't even is it around? It's a watch company. Okay. Oh, watch. So, no, it's not no, around. Did not, did not win. Okay. Did trip not trotting. win. Nope. Did trip trotting uh, win? Uh, dude, this is so funny. So your next one there is Zimride, which became Lyft. L- you became Lyft. Is that crazy? <laughs> pre, pre the, the name change to Lyft. Okay. Wow. That's good. Account manager. Uh, that's all it was, was account manager. U- no, no. University account manager. Even better. Um, God, okay, I could so have had that. Zero Cater. They, I don't think they panned out exactly, but they had a good run. And then that's it. Oh, and then Cater to me. 
right. different catering company. Oh, there's more. Uh, EF Tours, that didn't pan out. Nixon, Red Bull, every other, that's every company ever that right. you do. Or, I mean, that everyone applies at Red okay, Bull. So, so here's here's what's crazy. That's eight years ago. Um, that's not like eight years is not that long. So, um, like, I, you know, I remember the president back then. So, so, so projecting forward eight years, imagine if, imagine what your life today is going to look like in comparison to eight years forward. How exciting is that? Because, like, back then you would have been pumped to get this university account manager job at Zimride. <laughs> and it's like, dude, ima- well, the, here's, ima- the, here's the shitty part is I would, I would be pumped now if I got that back then. I, like, <laughs> I would have, I would have been, I should have done that. What was I thinking? <laughs> Uh, so did you not get any of these jobs <laughs> or you got the airbnb one I got the, then that- and then i interviewed at the other one no like i don't think you understand how redneck i was like i was in nashville i didn't know what the word startup was really like i was right. like i would call it like a startup company like oh you guys are like a cool startup company <laughs> the dead um, giveaway <laughs> yeah like they would say the bay area and i was like i don't know what the bay area is Right. Um, and they're like, they would talk about San Francisco and I was like, yeah, like Silicon Valley, like, uh, by <laughs> LA. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't know any, I was just, I was just a, a redneck. I was, I was country. Right. I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't know anything. Yeah. I did a lot of cringe stuff. I looked up uh, the email that I had sent to, um, to the, to Michael Birch, who was running the, the idea lab at the time, Monkey Inferno. And there's some stuff in there that I'm like, this is so fucking cringy. Um, but it's actually good to read because now when I look back, when now when people message me, I'm like, dude, I was 10 times worse at this than you are. Uh, so I should not judge anybody because I was t- I was awful at this. Not not too long ago. That's like seven, eight years ago. And even if it is cringe, you could still tell like earnestness and you could still tell if someone um, is hardworking and like if they're go getter. So like, right. yeah, like, like I, I used to make fun of my friend Tam. Do you remember Tam Fam? Yes. He, yeah, he, t- this guy Tam was an intern at my company at like 19 and I would kind of bully him around because he kind of I would treat him like a little brother because <laughs> I was only 23. He was 19 and I, and I would treat him like a little brother. I'm like, shut up, Tam. Like, you nerd. <laughs> like, I would tease him. But I, looking back, I'm like, that guy, he is like he was like the most like eager dorky guy Happy, ever. Yeah, Happy. He, was a, he was a go-getter. Yeah, <laughs> he was just like Butters on South Park. And uh, he was a great dude, but I would just like bully him. But now but, I see him on Facebook when he's like, he was like learning pole dancing or something yeah. in his house. Or something. He's, he's yeah. always doing uh, stuff. And he would like, he like proposed to like some prom to a girl by like dancing and showing up at the side. And I would just like tease him. <laughs> but looking back, I, or, and even then I knew it. I'm like, yeah, but dude, Tam, you're like a badass. Like right, you're going to, you, you, you want him around. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're going to be really special. Like all these weird quirks that you have, you're going to get teased now because you're barely out of high school, but trust me, like you're going to kick ass. It, right. Trust me. Like keep it going. Right. I'm going to keep making fun of you, but you keep doing what you're doing. Right. Like <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, and when I make fun of you, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to like conclude you in part of the joke, but you're, uh, you're going to be badass. And, and I think people can tell that right really easily. Yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> that's really funny. Can we do two minutes on Khabib for the like one percent of the audience that that cared about Khabib? Fucking awesome! <laughs> so awesome. So where back- did you where did you watch it? Just at home? Just at home. Yeah. So the background for anyone listening, Khabib. His name's Khabib Nurmagomedov. What is it? So I I learned it. So his so it's actually Habib, not Khabib. I know, even though, even though it's okay. And then it's you know Nurmagomedov is like the way we say it, but there's actually like three silent letters in there that you're not supposed to say. I don't know which ones. He's and- like a stoic 
MMA guy. He's very Muslim. So he's like, uh, always says like, you know, Al Shalom or some type of praise be to whoever. And he doesn't bring his wife or his kids around. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't cuss. He's very calm, very stoic. But he'll say very, in a Russian accent, he goes, I'm going to bring you on the ground and maul you. Like right. That's what he says. Yeah, I'm going to smash this guy. I'm going to smash um, this guy is what he yeah, says. I, I'm going to give him good smash. So he's from Dagestan, which is a place I literally never heard of till I heard of Khabib. Um, and then, it's like it's like Afghanistan in Russia. If you ever look at right. photos, it, like it, it looks like it it, it kind of looks like uh, it looks like the Middle East, but it's technically Russia, and it's all Muslim. So the thing that's interesting, so it's not about, oh, what happened in the match, right? This is like an interesting match. But this guy is just like a remarkable character that I think you could like pull a lot from. This is a character to hear about. So guy from Dagestan, um, which is a mountain town in Russia, that's like not like the Russian people don't like Dagestani. So they're like this like outcast group of people. This is like a hard, hard group of people that live there because like they live stone, a very hard life. Like, like and, and this isn't like kind of sending. It's the truth. If you Google his town and his house, like a stone home with not much electricity. Right. And so his dad is one of the was one of the greatest um, like martial arts coaches ever, basically, turns out. But at the time, like Khabib, Khabib was a, a little kid and there's these videos on YouTube of him wrestling a bear, a baby um, bear, a baby yeah. bear. So he's a kid. He's probably like, I don't know, six or seven or something like that, eight, maybe. And he's literally his dad has him actually wrestling against a baby bear um as like, like either they're like, for, they're like the same size training. yeah, yeah they're, the, they're like the same size it's insane and so this guy from a young age trained wrestling in this uh in this like in the mountains of dagestan so he he joins the ufc he ends up now he, so he retired after this match that just happened over the weekend so he's completely undefeated or as he says undisputed undefeated ufc lightweight champion greatest of all time and um 29 and 0 29 no never really lost a round they gave one round to uh to conor mcgregor um but like pretty he dominated pretty much every minute he was in the in the ufc he dominated his opponent and he fought everybody and so that was kind of crazy so he uh and then like sam said he's you know like kind of a devout muslim guy what's interesting is he got super popular. So he has 23 million followers on Instagram. He has more followers than Floyd Mayweather. Um, he has made his dad estimated that he made about a hundred million dollars total because there's a billion Muslim people out there. And he became the most famous Muslim athlete since Muhammad Ali. And so he developed this huge following, even though he's a very kind of modest guy. You know, he was not like Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather. He's really flamboyant. He wasn't like that. And he got famous because after the Conor McGregor fight, who's an that, he's an asshole, F- Khabib had a flip. He flipped out because Conor made fun of his religion a little bit and, and was disrespectful dad. to his family. After the fight, he beat Conor McGregor up, jumped the stands, and went and beat up Conor McGregor's team. Right. And that, and, it, <laughs> and that that's why he got so many followers. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. I think he's just in general like idolized by by a whole bunch of like Muslim people. He's the most famous Muslim athlete and. You know, there's just a lot of people in that population. So he's like super famous across Russia, the Middle East, everywhere else. And so he retires undefeated, uh, dominates this guy again, you know, as he always does. And his dad passed away, I think, due to COVID this year. Um, so his dad, who trained him, passed away a few months ago. So this is his first fight without his dad. And then he surprised everybody. He retires. Uh, first, he breaks down in tears because this is his first, you know, first fight post his dad. And, and so he you, knew, I think he knew what, what was about to happen. He knew it was over, right? So he, and he, he basically says, I promised my mom I wouldn't do this anymore. And he gives this like post-fight speech where he's like, look, spend time with your parents. I only have one now. And uh, if you have parents, spend time with them. And he said, I'm going to spend some time with my mom. 
I re- yeah, I he goes, he goes, my, my, he, he goes, mother, mother asked me not to fight without father. Right. I said this last, I said yeah. this, I'll do it. That's how he said it. He goes, yeah. I, I promised her this would be my last one. I'm done. Thank you. And right. he I gave that. her and my he, word. So, so now I must do it. And like yes. a lot of people in fighting retire, but they no, they do not stick to their word because they retire as like a stunt to drive more interest in their next uh, comeback fight. So there's guys who have retired like five times, like Mike Tyson's coming back again uh, to fight this year. And so like the, that's a tactic, but this guy doesn't play around. This guy no, is like, this guy, he's like, the he's the type of guy, man of your like, word. I have no idea if it's true, but when I look at him and his crew, I'm like, you guys have killed people before, for sure. Right. <laughs> like they're <laughs> or, just or, bad, you, or you happily would. Yeah, they're just like they live lived a hard life, and they're real gangsters. And there's this hilarious video. Have you seen the video of them playing basketball? Yes, <laughs> they're, they're playing what they call Dagestani basketball, which is basketball played like football. So you don't have to dribble; you just run around with the ball. And there's 20 guys on the court, and everyone's tackling each other to get the ball. And then, like you know, if you score, if you if you shoot the ball and you make it, like great, you get like a touchdown. And that's Dagestani basketball. <laughs> it's the best. I uh, it's made me uh, like I bet a lot of people are like us, where they're like, I just want to see what Dagestan's about, and I want to learn how to wrestle and do all that stuff. Right. And it was pretty cool. I think people make fun of the ufc because they say it's kind of like redneck or barbaric and it definitely is barbaric but it's it's so cool to be introduced to new cultures and and uh, you know uh, fucking dagestan who would have we were talking about it yeah exactly and i think uh there's a lot i admire about uh the culture it's very stoic very um family very mostly respectful like they asked him they said you retired and like you you were 29 and 0 you could have got to 30 and 0 which would have been the greatest record in mma uh history and because of this fight, you had the best, um, you had the biggest sort of like uh, fights ahead of you. You could have fought Conor McGregor and you could have made another 10 to $20 million off that fight. You could have fought Floyd Mayweather. He wants to fight you because you're a big star. Um, you could have fought George St. Pierre, this old, old, you know, former great star who could, who wanted to come back and fight you. And that would have, you know, cemented your legacy. And he goes, I heard this interview and he just goes, um, what am I going to do with money? He goes, even like billionaire only eat bread one time a day, one bread a day. <laughs> I was like, Khabib, I love you. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and I think, you know, there's something that is kind of amazing about this guy who who lived his life in this way and got famous and got successful on his terms. There's so many people that are just copying the playbook. It's like, oh, okay, Conor McGregor got famous this way and got rich this way. So now you have all these wannabes who like try to wear his suit and try to talk trash and try to like be a fashion icon and like, you know, say brash things. And uh, Khabib did the exact opposite and got just as famous and almost just as rich. Um, doing and what and way more way. light, universally way more and respected, universally univers- respected. Yeah. Um, so I thought that's kind of a great example or a great lesson to pull. I thought it was special, you know, and I think that a lot of very few people in America will know who he is, but he's, I bet you he's a top 20 most famous athlete in the world due to him being number one amongst the Muslims. Right. And yeah. uh, the, fight, the, the fight this Saturday was in Abu Dhabi. Is that, is that how you say Abu, Abu Dhabi? Yeah. Abu Dhabi. And they said that they treat him like the king. So like yeah. he has a full they entourage. Coming from the hotel to the, the arena, which is a literal two minute walk. And there's a police escort <laughs> driving like 40 feet. He's <laughs> like just badass, man. He's just feet. a badass. And then like Putin called him right after. Like he's just right. royalty. And I think that's <laughs> badass. Yeah, he's um, insane. So to all the UFC fans, uh, hopefully you like this. To the non-UFC fan, UFC fans, Khabib. How do you spell it? K-H-A-B-I-B. That's right. Look him up. 
He's yeah. famous for saying this like, I'll, incredible. Sm- I'll smash this guy. That's like how he talks. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go smash my workout now. I'll, I'll see you later. All right. Bye. See ya.